Hi, Natalie. <laughs> why do I always laugh? I'm sorry. I always, <laughs> feel, like, I always feel like we're on daytime telly and, and people need to know that we're not. Anyway, hello. <laughs> and do you know what? Can I say, I was thinking before we, before, when I was getting up, how I really look forward. I go, oh, clever. I'm going to talk to you. Oh, <laughs> I do really, yeah. I really, no, I really, really, because it's, I tell you what, you don't actually end up having many people to really have a good conversation with, right? Everything's always in the rush. And that is what we are, mothers talking, isn't mm. it? Mothers talking. And I think sometimes I get, you get to an age, I'm, so everybody, we've never said our ages, have we? We should probably share, I'm 55. I'm 40. Yeah, and that's part of it, isn't it? Because, of, you know, we are at different stages at different times. And I'm at that stage where my, you know, my, my children's obvious needs have diminished, but there's a kind of great big, it's like a great big ship in the middle of an ocean motherhood at this point. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you're, you're, hot, you're in this, you're in the middle of this huge sea that there's no going back, of course. It feels like a tanker, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's lovely because you're heading to a lovely, you know, it's really funny. So, you're, so there's, there's nobody coming up and asking you for anything anymore. There's mm-hmm. no shoelaces to tie. There's no eggs to boil, sort of thin of stories to read. But still this this kind of need, there is this very palpable need of you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your parents. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm gonna leave that there. I but know. they also want you, right? And so you get, I know this is age old, these these cliches of middle-aged women, you just get squeezed into this tiny, tiny little place. Mm-hmm. And so to go into this very, very, it feels decadent to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and especially about, well, decadent to go, when I'm with you, I remind myself of uh, when I got to university, my life exploded into this, what we're going to talk about today, this, <gasps> I love life, like that sort of feeling. And I got to this coffee shop called the MJ. Anyone Leeds University 85 to 89 will know it. <laughs> and you'd sit there and you'd have a coffee about 10, this, by the way, this is pre-coffee culture. So this was like when you probably got, God knows what it was. It wouldn't have been instant, but it was practically instant coffee with milk. And then you'd sit there and someone would walk in from your lecture and then you'd chat and then there'd be a bit more chat and then you'd have another coffee and you'd have another coffee and you'd have another chat. And, have... and I'm literally not kidding. You'd leave about four half four so like Europeans would like a sort of Italians or something just sitting there chewing the cud chewing the cud chewing the cud bit about boys bit about philosophy bit about what you know, just all the delicious things you know and I always feel like that with you that's why I'm saying that I, I don't you know there are a few I have a couple of relationships in my life like that my husband's one which is nice <laughs> yeah that's good good job yeah. But that's that's kind of how this started, wasn't it? Because we kept having all these deep chats on the phone and always ran out of time. And we were just like, maybe we should record some of them and see what happens. <laughs> because we always, our chats never stay surface level. They always go deep very quickly, don't they? <laughs> There's always unpicking of something and yeah. stories and things. But um, so today, but- today, what we, we thought we'd talk about this series this little we're going to do it in a series of three and threes we realized that the theme that was coming was how things feel but yeah um, feelings but but, yeah feelings generally yeah but today's aspect we wanted to really go in on the sensation of the feeling really there's some more more specifics of how we feel in our human experiences but particularly of course birth i think places to start might be that when you talk to a woman who's just had a baby about her birth the first thing one notices is she's often speechless, isn't she? She's often hasn't got the words to explain it. So maybe we're going to have a bit of a tough time because it is quite hard to explain the feelings. But that's where we'll begin, I think. Don't you think? Like, what, what does having a baby feel like, and what, why, and what is it, and what's that sensation? Here? Yeah, but that's what I love about this conversation, and I love those pages in your book, How to Have a Baby, because. You have women talking about the sensations, don't you? You have them actually labelling what birth feels like. And I think that's something that every, especially for every first time mum thinks, you know, it's such an unknown entity. This big, it becomes this huge thing, doesn't it? What does it feel like? And I've started saying to my mums, but you know, it's manageable, right? Because, and I think I learned that off you, but I'm like, no one ever actually says, 
it's okay. You know, you know, you can do this. It's only within the realms of your body. So it's obviously manageable Mm -hmm. because it's your body doing it, you know, and it feels big because you're letting your mind kind of step out the way for a change and letting your body take control. But you are not out of control. It's just your body's in the driving seat, isn't it? But that feels so alien to us because we live in our heads. It just made me think something. I've never thought of that. I love, I love it that there's always new things to think. And actually, you've just made me realise that, of course, it gets big, given there's no time other than falling in love, I suppose, where we, you just let your neocortex and its busyness go. And, of course, that will then give loads more space for feeling isn't it so quite apart from the fact that it would be sent into the soaring feet yeah it, it goes high and intense it's also wide because it's taking up more of you isn't it yeah of and because i guess when we're thinking we're not often thinking and feeling are we and in life we think a lot so we probably drown out our feeling and then suddenly our thinking isn't there so yeah. our feeling grows even bigger and obviously we're busy feeling a lot anyway so yeah, there's there's a lot of feelings in birth. I, I loved it because before I had my first, so I've got you've got three over ten and I've got three under ten. So we're <laughs> we're in that we're in that different kind of zone. But I remember when I was pregnant with Ed and I said to my mum, I said, What did it feel like to you? I really want to know. Because mum mum had like three, you know, just straightforward, pretty straightforward births. And I was like, What but what does it feel like? And she described it as you know like um, a vice or a clamp (laughs) and this isn't the nicest description but it really helped me and she said imagine you know they're cranking that vice and they just keep cranking it and keep cranking it and you kind of want the pressure to stop but it doesn't and it just keeps cranking and cranking and cranking until it releases but it gave me that visual of within a contraction or or the birth as a general sorry as in a contraction sorry as in the feeling of release, that's the thing is it is the thing is that the vice thing i think is really helpful myself um, yeah let's it, it, i mean it is a gathering of it's like a drawstring on a purse isn't it or something you know, like a draw you're, it's drawn i think that is one of the best ways to understand it yeah because that explains why one is feeling a draggy feeling i mean you know effectively what is literally happening mechanically is your, your the muscle fibers of the womb are literally drawing together and releasing but the thing about it which is hopefully it makes people feel less anxious about that is it's so do we want to say so calibrated and mechanistically perfect mm. but of course like any muscle it's action and reaction so it basically goes it goes you know in out in out. you know it's, it's, so so therefore the vice does release i mean that's the point i mean it, it and, and they will yeah. and, it, and it will yeah. always release yeah. i think it's that I think what we're lacking now is that reliability, that trust that our body will, I don't know, because if a woman, if when you really emphasise to people that there's more rest than work and it's on the money every two minutes, ba ba bum ba ba bum ba ba bum ba ba bum and, you know, there'll be these great big endorphin-filled rests mm-hmm. when there is no rise. And then it builds, it builds, it builds, and it releases, it releases, releases, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it releases, releases, it releases. And people understand that shape mm. because i don't know we know that's like breath isn't it that's like mm. that's like even going to the loo or they're a pulse it's pulsy you know yeah. and i think if people could trust that there is a a metronome ticking you know then then you can deal with the idea of a tightening because you know the tightening is not going to over over spill and to never stop you know yeah yeah but this is why i think we have we have birth prep a bit um topsy-turvy because I always feel uh, you know the kind of we call it room one don't we but as most people would know it's sort of the early signs early labor whatever that's the tricky bit because like you're saying established labor or room two as we call it it's like that is like you say it's so on the money that every every woman that reflects afterwards with me she always says I was fine when it had a pattern when it was boom 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 I knew what was coming I found my breath I found my rhythm I was pacing I was you know how women find those rituals and rhythms yeah once they've got in that zone they're absolutely fine rituals are studying the syncopated rhythm I mean there it would be effectively when we pull a, a, a handkerchief to our nose with lavender or um a pat out a rhythm on the floor when the woman's in all fours you know, like people do lots of things don't they mm-hmm. that's a, like a clap 
in a song, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's basically you're beating out the rhythm. And, and one, as you say, it's miraculous to behold. I mean, when you see and feel it for yourself, how instinctive that is. I mean, it's just absolutely, you don't even know. You can't even tell somebody what they might do. or what, I don't even like to make suggestions. I saw a woman once stare every contraction, like really stare at the stainless steel of her kettle. And afterwards I said, what, why are we doing that? She said, that's what I did. It was like, I just wanted to, the contraction would roll in. Her eyes were closed for the rest. Mm. And she would open her eyes really wide and she was in the water in the birth pool and then she was in the kitchen. And then she would stare, 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 stare at this silver, silver, silverness of her kettle. Mm. Who knows why? It was just something to look at. So it can be like textures. I remember somebody stroking out the very cold cotton of their sheet five times. Mm. You know, as you say, all these little things, they give you, um, you know, when you score, I'm, I'm not a musician, but you're scoring a piece of music. It's mm. scoring, mm. scoring your birth. As, mm. as your body sings its song, you're scoring it, aren't you? And it's really easy to find lots of things to score it with and bang mm. it out. I went to a flamenco show on Saturday night, which I, a little tiny one in a proper old Spanish bar. It was so wonderful. When you watch women dance, a traditional female dance like flamenco, that is literally it. She's, she's, the man is moaning, right, from his face, doing his flamenco guitar and the sounding. Mm. And she wraps her body round the song well that's what mm -hmm. women are doing in birth it is mm -hmm. fine no more than fine we're going to talk about how it feels in a minute like that mm -hmm. the, the, the extraordinary feelings but to go back to what you said so true so true that the initial uncoordinated feelings seem to agitate mm -hmm. and I think more so than ever at the moment and I that's why I'm so on my room one room two thing because I think we're such an overthinky, obviously, we know we are, don't we, as a specific mm. point in history. And I know how I feel about app world and phones. And, and so, you, so you've got like a, a plethora of information antenatally. You've then got, as my mum very deftly, but it's a very simple point no one thinks about, is now that partners know so much, right? So that before, even 15 years ago, you might not have had a partner even knowing what a vaginal examination was, for example, you know. Mm. And I always say, my mum my mum made the point, she said to me, oh, so when they're waiting for these things and they're having it done, what's the partner doing? And I said, well, they're standing with bated breath, you know, next to them, like, how have we done? How have we done? Are we doing well? Mm. How are we, are we nailing it? You know, mm. which is, of course, completely antithesis of how the hormones of birth work. If you've not only got yourself feeling under performance pressure, you're actually in a stadium effectively mm -hmm. because your dear and loving partner may be wanting the best for you, but they're doing it by numbers. So now you've got all this, this kind of tension. So, so let's now go back to the build-up phase. You've now got a partner that stays at home probably from first cramp, effectively tr trying not to observe you, but is observing you. And you're trying to eat the scrambled eggs and you're trying to go to walk the dog and you're trying to be normal, but there's a natural bit of excitement, that's natural. But very quickly, it descends into this, um, especially with the old blooming apps. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. like, let's track it and track the trajectory as if, as if early labour builds in a single linear upward trajectory. It doesn't. It pulls, it eddies, it, it circles round back on itself. It stops dead sometimes. And yes, sometimes it does do a very sort of apparently cumulative thing. But the thing to really understand is it's not, especially designed to be cumulative it, what's happening in fact can I be graphic I think yeah of course okay I'm going to give I'm going to say about a birth that happened yesterday mm. and it mixes the two things so basically if I'm not unle unleashing something on the country here so very Jew woman mm. not particularly worried about due dates and we and she was saying to us with her doulas oh, we're having sex we're having lots of sex right and Lovely, that, that helps, as we know, right? But let's look at why it helps, right? So first of all, people might have, when they, when, when they go, yeah, I, I know, I get it. You know, you have sex, it's really, can really help um, get things going or, or not even do it for that reason. It's just all sort of hormonal and part of the, part of the parcel. But if you, have, if, you, if you have sex once, I'm not sure it makes much difference, but if, as she had done, you have lots of sex, you then basically do in one failed swoop what early labour takes sometimes two or three days to do to be to be really forensic here mm. sperm will dissolve the cervix 
pretty mm. effectively. And especially if it's swimming, if, if, if basically the cervix is just sitting in semen, mm. it really breaks it down. Now, there's an example, right, of how clearly this is not a single linear trajectory. So I'm trying, I'm giving you that slightly graphic example to show you how pointless an app is. Because if it was measurable in any shape or form, how can it be that that woman had her baby in two hours? Yeah. Right? Why did she? She got to hospital as a first-time mum with a four-centimetre cervix because her cervix, she'd been having so much sex. <laughs> now, I like that story because it's like, yeah, it's literally that early labour. And, and yes, when she went into labour then, mm. it was absolutely, as we said, like a metronome, bum, 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 bum. I actually think she found she was probably a rare example, funny enough, of how established labor came as a bit of a shock because she'd managed to get through the whole first bit without anything, mm. almost nothing. She'd had hardly- She must have been dripping in oxytocin as well. Yes, yes she was. Well, that's that's exactly, exactly. So there, that, there's a really good example, isn't it, of that mm. the, there is no reading mm. on that build-up phase. There's no reading it. What's, let's look at what's happening. What has to happen is the cervix needs to, needs to slowly move forward in the last weeks slowly soften efface pull up the baby then has to engage and play ball like a literally like a billiard ball in a pocket down mm. once you get that lock in mm. that and that takes a while then you start getting much more of an established rhythm but that takes a while to get a nestling pocket of um of crown bearing into a soft little mm. glove of, you know it's, it's, it's re that takes a long time to make it massage it so thin mm. sorry i'm contradicting myself now sorry it can take a long time but equally mm. it cannot take a long time it, it basically depends on multiple factors of the mother's body and the baby's body and emotions and and pelvis and all sorts of things and so absolutely as you say the feelings going back to the subject we're discussing can match that be in step with that so if it's quite a stop starty thing it can be a bit like oh Mine was three days, for example. So mm. I was frustrated, a bit impatient, but it's sort of new to hang out. So mm. those are feelings of birth as well. Um, mm. You see my cat when she had kittens, she was circling, circling, circling. And, and like one of those cartoons, you know, like a whizzing, you know, like whizzing animals in cartoons. She was actually quite whizzy. She wasn't lumber, cumbersome and lumbering. Mm. She was sort of, and actually I made me laugh because I thought, oh, I've seen women be like that. Like yeah, they kind of move in circles and they're like a bit giggly and mm. uh, it's quite up, you know, mm. can't put themselves down and they don't know how to settle, you know. Who knows, what do we think that is? I mean, that is, that's a big feeling, isn't it? I don't know why that is, what that is. What the, the whizzy feeling? I wonder what that's happening hormonally because it seems a bit adrenalised in some respects. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on biochemically, but all I know is, it's a very typical of the uncoordinated phase. Oh, definitely. And probably anxiety, right? Not knowing what's coming, the unknown, this is starting, excitement. It's kind of all your feelings whizzing around you, like you say, yeah. until you settle into them. But that's why, again, I know we've talked about tracking and apps and stuff before, but it's really, it really does a disservice because if you are watching an app, well, for one, you're watching yourself, which you don't want to do in that early stage anyway. But if you're watching, you're kind of letting the app do the thinking. So you're not really feeling. Mm -hmm. So then of course women, yes. so of course women go in early because yes. the app says, but they haven't felt it in their body. They haven't, all women that we, you know, we spot, you know, I, I find this, there's always a, a shift and they notice it because they're feeling it. But they can't feel it if they're thinking. <laughs> but it's basically outsourcing yourself. And that's yeah. just to say, because I don't want to say, always sound miserable anti-tech person. And I, I, and I have heard people go, oh, I really loved an app because it, it, it helped me to count my breath in and count my breath out. So let's just say there as a caveat, I absolutely understand how for some people, whatever it does on the machine, acts a bit like the rituals we just discussed where mm. and, and that would be different maybe in the birth itself in the established labor i can see how it tells you how to breathe through it but you're so right for the bit where it's most used which mm. is because it's i i doubt many people are looking at an app once they're in established labor anyway right but that's where it would be most useful because it's literally monitoring and metering your breath and showing you it's going to pass it's going to pass it's going to pass you know like we it would be like us when there's doulas when we go 
this one's going, rest is coming, rest is coming. Mm -hmm. It would almost be acting like that. But when you're sort of sitting with the kind of what's basically a bellyache that is Mm -hmm. a bit erratic and it's getting you what I call ahead of your body, the machine is basically saying, you're you're so longing for that pattern to evolve Mm -hmm. that it puts you, as you exactly as you say, it puts your brain ahead of your feelings. So you're already anticipating and apprehensively observing where am I going? Where am I heading? Where am I going? Where am I? It's, it's like, a, you know, when you go on a journey with children and they, you get in the car and you, you pull away and they say, are we there yet? You know, it's like, it's that feeling of, yeah. oh, we've got the whole journey ahead. You know, it's going to make you feel tight and it's going to make you feel tense and it's going to make you actually feel a lot more, um, I don't want to say anxious, but it is a form of anxiety. Whereas, go back to the feeling, feeling, feeling thing we're discussing is if even if you're observing it in a kind of curious way, that's fine. That's rather lovely. It's like I, I, my new phrase is feel into the need. Mm. So like feel into the need of the next moment. So what do I want? You know, I want a hot water bottle right between my thighs. Mm. You know, what do I want? I want a big piece of toast with tons of butter. And do you know what I love about early labour is the choicelessness of it. And it's getting you into the realisation oh there's nothing else to do and there's nothing else I can do Mm. well you can you can go obviously you can do a lot at that point but my point is your body's you know you know you're gonna go into labor soonish so it puts you into this very nice state which not many of us have these days it would be like having a day off work or not you know going on holiday so you've literally you're on holiday you're switched off no one's going to expect anything of you nothing Mm. I would say in yoga relaxation, your name was not going to be called and nothing is expected of you. No, no one's going to say, excuse me, can you go to the shops or can you go and do this? Can you? Nothing. So first of all, what a great pleasure that is to be in that situation, like women are at the end of yoga and relaxation. You hear them, don't you, when we do it, palpable sighs of let go. So use that early labor mm-hmm. to go, great, I've got to pass out. You know, I've got to, I, I just can do nothing. Yeah. It would be like, you know, I often make my boring, now now boring, because I go on about it so much, airport analogies. Well, you know, my silly airport analogy about about waiting and checking, it's like falling asleep Mm -hmm. in an airport. But in a good way, we all of us get excited about going to the airport, don't we, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, go on holiday, go on holiday. And why? Because there's like a kind of, when you're in that, departure land it's a feeling of being out of time you you, you don't belong anywhere you, I remember reading this great essay on it once it's that departure lounges are a great piece of human theatre because actually they're all those people in that space aren't belonging in their lives mm. and they're, they're not in their lives they're not housed in their lives they're just in this transit space mm. awaiting where they're going right mm. and so there is that funny quite exciting I'm just going to have my coffee, going to read my paper, you know, I'm going to just sit out of life. And, and there's a great feeling of relief, you know. Yeah. So w- I wish women in early labour would simply focus on the fact that they don't have to do anything, you know. You can just go and do something. And it doesn't have to be productive. It yeah. doesn't have to be that, or the, you know, this whole thing of, oh, you know, watch your box set. I mean, that's tiring and all that, you know. That, again, this business of, as birth keepers and birth teachers, we set people up and go, oh, you could bake a cake. I mean, I'm always being told now, oh, yeah, you mean bake a cake? It's like, well, yeah, if you want to. <laughs> I feel like we've ordered the whole labouring nation to bake cakes, and now they're like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and annoyingly, I put that in my book, because I do love baking cakes. But, you know, equally, you could just want to lie on your side with a blanket on you, mightn't you? But it's like, when... When these days do women do nothing? <laughs> Everything has to have a reason. Everything's got to be productive. I, I mean, I'm quite good at doing nothing these days, but I still have that voice sort of, it, I like it to be a little bit productive, you know, but just doing nothing. What a gift. Mm. What a gift. Well, it should. No should. There's no, yeah, I, no should. In early labor, what never should be said in your mind is, I should be yeah. Yeah. doing yeah. I should... No, you're, that's it. It's, it's nothing. There is literally nothing you should be doing. Nothing. But that's why, and I, I always think a, a woman in labour looks so beautiful. And I always think that. There's always this, like, air about them. And I always tell them afterwards, and, and they're like, oh, is it, you know, as if? Like, why, why did I look beautiful? You know, because I don't think we associate labour with being beautiful. But 
because it's a woman when she's in that zone when she's not thinking and not being without any expectation on herself without any pressure on herself she's just completely being and she's like shed her self-consciousness you know she's just being herself like completely in the moment without worry without trying to please someone over here or do this over here she's just being in her body maybe for the first time in her whole life without trying to please somebody else because it's slightly off off topic but I wonder if we'll eventually if we carry this on this podcast we'll get to these subjects um I went out with somebody last night for their birthday um a bit older than you I'm 55 so the subject was that kind of feeling of being an old and being middle-aged woman Mm. and we both feel really great you know I feel really I feel really good at the moment I feel probably the freer than I've ever felt and Mm. and we're talking about that the prison of 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 later being later womanhood you know where it's got some similarities to what you just said because not because there's no effort or you can't be asked and you're sort of like you're just going to give up it's not that but you're physically there's now no reason to sort of feel oh I should look this way I should look that way or I don't feel very attractive and whatever you sort of I'm not saying you don't worry but you you have to come into your own self you mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. and then and so what you are is authentically yourself and then you start feeling this get this strange response because she was saying her husband feels this and I feel this with mine because you're just so relaxed I feel desired I'm gonna say it yeah yeah probably more than I have done in I don't know I just feel so myself I don't you know if I, my husband kisses me I feel really nice I feel really good you know I've battled for years with you know, as a younger woman with all that you was trying so much you know mm-hmm. feeling like I should look this way I want to look that way I feel un- I feel uncomfortable or whatever and I don't know, it's a lovely feeling. And it's similar to that. Free, the freedom of the self, because beauty yeah. is in that true track, is truly yourself coming to the surface, isn't mm. it? And you see it in their skin, they're sort of flushed with colour and big mm-hmm. eyes and um, like a glow and a gloss to the skin, isn't there? Yeah, because I think talking about the self, I really think in labour, you meet yourself, don't you? <laughs> Like you're you're going to meet yourself. All the all those internal kind of cognitive workings that happen day to day. Your labour will be like that. If you know what I mean. Like I look back to my first labour, and it was so hard for lots of reasons that I could then understand and move forward into my second birth. But it was hard because I always believed that I had to work hard for everything. That was one of my core beliefs. I always had like three jobs growing up and I had to work my ass off. Like I just worked and worked and worked. Oh. It, it made complete sense. It was like, I didn't deserve to have an easy birth, but I didn't know any of this, but I can reflect back on it. And it was like, of course my birth was dazed and induced and bloody hard work because I felt like I had to work at that. You know, it was like something I had to do. I don't know, to be worthy or something, but I'm saying you, you will find those things come up in your birth and not in a scary way, in a really amazing way. That's why it's a lesson, isn't it? Yeah, a growth and a transition. And that's why everyone says when they become a mum, they kind of don't know who they are for a while because you're, you're finding yourself again. You know, and I really believe you're not finding a new version. You're finding the version you were before everyone messed you up. Yeah. (laughs) You're just going back to that. Apparently, it's around 9, 10 is the best when we're most ourselves before there's peer pressure and all this other stuff. And that's funny because I look back when I was 9 or 10 and I was doing gymnastics, trampolining, and my baby brother was born, and now I'm a doula who teaches yoga. I was like, that makes total sense to me that I've come right back to her. But I had to go off and find all these different pathways and because someone said, oh, you should, you'd be good at that. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Well, I I was the same. I mean, probably identical, very, very similar pathways. I mean, I, yeah, no, absolutely. And and you you come to that sort of feeling of in a matter of a couple of days, you're on a contemplative quest, aren't you? Really? Mm -hmm. Like maybe even less than a couple of days, but that's why one shouldn't, attempt to rush it because it will present itself in the way that you need it to be really yeah and and it's that breaking open I mean you want to kind of help people not to be afraid and if you say a phrase like breaking open we don't I don't mean breaking open like a a damaged thing I mean like a beautiful egg breaking open you know like Mm. you're breaking like right now we're sitting here and it's the first week of spring that we can really feel Mm. and you can feel nature breaks open I mean quite literally one day the sticks 
trees are sticks and the next day these buds have opened and that's mm. that's what's happening your, your the egg of you uh, cracks and it is a crack in the sense but it's a it's a beautiful it's a releasing break it's not it's not a damaged break you know yeah. and you can fight that um people do fight it don't they like you said i fought it as well a bit I, there was a, I think there's a point in um going back to the room one room two thing there's a tussle point and you see it in people where the mind and the body are trying to they're arguing it out of it some people just mm. allow the body to take over and they just do it and some people literally can keep their mind running it and and, and it will come at a cost like you know when the body's really really struggling to, to, to say no and leave it to me yeah sometimes the mind will say no because the neocortex is cocky Mm-hmm. And it will literally, it will rule. And it, it will, as Michelle O'Donnell's always said, you know, we have to find ways to override the neocortex because from survival, it's taught us to be ever vigilant, but actually we have to suppress. It's almost like, he said, it's almost like suppressing survival instinct to allow the baby to come. It's like, we, we, we've got so used to relying on our thinking, cogn- conscious, cognitive brain to be the leading role in anything and I think in traditional societies that wouldn't have been the case certainly thousands of years ago there would have been a much more even distribution of weight giving to prayerful sacred time when you were a bit out of rationality and you wouldn't weren't having to think about going you know honing a stick in order to catch a bear you know improving your cooking making the cave warmer you know they wouldn't have been continually engaged in productivity there would have been times of when you would have had to have honoured spring or something and, and go a bit fuzzy, you know. But mm-hmm. now we have no space, no time for anything other than the rational. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are getting more into it, aren't they? Meditation and stuff, but yoga. But it's even that has been slightly um, choreographed and squeezed yeah. into yeah. our lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got the busy life, so I'll do my yoga in order to counter the busy life, but only as a token gesture. You know, it has to be a genuine balancer for it to feel anything, you know, like you, you can't, you can't just shove it in. Meditation is going to make much difference really, but that, that spreading it out and there in labor is this opportunity of a lifetime, quite literally, which is how it feels to, oh, I can spread the intelligence down. Mm. I don't need to be in charge, you know, because, and it's funny because in birth teaching, you almost find it's taught as if allow your wild feminine, you know, let the primal take over. And then people have this imagining that there's this kind of slightly chaotic, mm. um, like like urge that your crazy self is coming to the fore, like a kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing, like a, as if of course you prize your rational self because that's the bit that keeps you in control, but you need to be not in control. You know, no, that's one. It's really scary to hear that. Yeah. Two, it's not true. You know, the intelligence of the physical body is far more reliable than our thinking mind. Our, why is our heart beating? so regularly you know why is why do we sweat when we're hot why do we get hunger pangs when we need food you know it's on the money it's that bang on reliable so to hand over to it i mean the amount of women that said to me over these oh i'm i'm i feel a bit scared of being out of control though and you go out of control you'll never feel more in control exactly exactly i mean i mean it's the complete fact i feel more out of control with my thinking self yeah and also of course this is even slightly ridiculous what we're saying because it's we're almost acting like they're two selves i mean what's so tragic about the modern human being is that we even think of it as two bits you know yeah. i mean we're all it that's what modern that's what somehow a secular and rational society you know the, in the last 500 years it's brought us so many benefits but it's brought us into this state of very compartmentalized beingness you know like mm. we, this bit and there's this bit and labour, you see women going, oh, I can be both. <laughs> and trust it, right? Trust those feelings in birth. Because I think if we've got that disconnection between mind and body, and our mind tells us all kinds of crap all day, doesn't it? That just isn't true. But for some reason, we follow the mind. And then in labour, we're like, oh, our body's in charge. This was scary, you know, what's happening. But you can trust it and you can feel it. And it is a shift, though. And I think I, I do say this to my mums. I, I feel like it, it, you do these days, you need to practice feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in pregnancy, 
if you're coming at birth from a logical sense and you're doing loads of reading and research and all that kind of stuff, that's wonderful, but you're still very cerebral, aren't you? And I think we both do this. We encourage our mums like, to find some new rituals, you know, whether it is going to a pregnancy yoga class or whatever, but just other things, you know, slowing down a bit, taking a slower pace, you know, doing things that relax you, that feel oh, good yeah, yeah. for no reason at all. Because, because that helps you just switch off a bit and get out of the mind. And like you said about meditation, I mean, meditation is doing nothing. But now we have to schedule it in because we can't do it without calling it meditation. There was a woman last year, and I don't know why the subject came up, and somebody at school had taught us all to, we were doing this project of knitting a 15 centimetre square, and then you knit 20 of them and you sew them together, right? And mm. just make baby blanket we were doing it at school and so I said to her oh, you should do it and she took me really seriously and she just bought herself enough wool and then spent the last four months of pregnancy mm. every time she was sitting on the sofa in the evening and it's a very simple little project it's just because one square can be done in one evening and so she just accumulated this massive pile of little squares and had and she just said it just switched her off she just felt yeah. lovely you know it's a lovely feeling but can I ask you I want to ask you about so we were talking earlier before we began about epidural and mm. uh, by the way, this is not, you know, we're both big fans of, I'm a fan of, you know, anesthesia in the right place. Let's just make that absolutely mm. clear to everybody. There's not some orthodoxy here about natural birth. It's not about that, but it's about understanding some of the things that don't get explained. I always remember years ago reading that 72% of women who have an epidural report dissatisfaction with it. Mm. Um, and that's interesting given it does what it says on the tin. You know, it, almost always very rarely does it not work so it gets rid of all the pain is the only thing that will get rid of all the pain it's mm -hmm. a marvel mm -hmm. um but why then 72 percent um of people dissatisfied and, and you've got experience of that haven't you? yeah well yeah because with my first i was induced um so obviously i you know went through pestries and things they didn't work because we were starting from nothing and actually talking about sex we had sex and that's what broke my waters early, <laughs> we think. So for that, that was a that was a weird one for me because yeah. Would you advise was... not to do that then? What do you think? Well, no, because I I think sex can be wonderful. I I don't know, maybe we were just unlucky, but we had sex and, and then also waters breaking was, you know, years ago would not have been that big a deal so now it's just been made into yeah but also again they definitely didn't break break if you know what I mean it was more like a tear and I probably could have waited a few days but I you know I knew a lot less than um loads less you know I was a first time mum didn't do any prep and wasn't a doula so I knew nothing um but yeah so anyway we don't need to go through my birth story but I had at a point when I was, things were getting really unmanageable, I thought I was probably way into my labor and I wasn't according to them anyway. And I got the, you're only, you know, that lovely word, you're only this, which of course floored me. And I was actually coping really, really well. So power to the language of birth. And I think if that, if I'd had a doula with me saying lovely things to me, it would have all been very different, but you know, I've accepted my birth now. That's a different story. But I, I was probably of the minority because I I didn't I really didn't want an epidural at the time. And not necessarily because of all the things we know now about epidurals, but more just because I was a person who liked feeling. I, I am a feeler, clearly, you know, I'm a feeler and I didn't want to not feel my birth. So that already was there. So when I felt like I couldn't go on and I had my epidural, I was terrified because I didn't want to not feel it. Um, and I also had all those, which I know women do fear, so I'll say it anyway, but, you know, you think you're going to get paralysed. You think all these horrible things about an epidural um, because, you know, there's a one in thousands of chance or whatever. But, you know, I remember having my epidural was a really scary, scary thing for me. And I know for lots of women, it's really positive. And I've supported loads of women who have had really positive times and experiences with it. But for me, it wasn't. And then, of course, I couldn't feel my body. And I hated that. Like, I hated that, not feeling my body, especially in such a bodily experience. And I think I was really grateful because obviously I ended up in theatre and I had an instrumental, but I was so grateful that when he came out, I did feel him from the inside kind of slide out. I couldn't, I couldn't feel anywhere else, but I felt him leave my belly. 
I don't know how else to describe it. It was the weirdest feeling. It was just like a... Really? That's and, I, and I felt that from the inside, but that, that really saved me because I felt him leave my body. And I think having also had, so I had an induction, then a home birth, and I've just had a cesarean. So I've had the full, the full triple. Clearly my doula in me wanted to experience all of it. Um, <laughs> but the same with the cesarean, I couldn't feel anything, obviously. People talk about the rummaging and stuff. I actually don't remember that now. I don't remember actually feeling that much, but I did visualize what they were doing so I visualized them like cutting me through all my layers of my skin and I visualized him as he was coming out and I visualized them sewing me up and I know that sounds really strange but again I knew I needed that connection I needed the bodily connection to a it's such a big experience to not feel it is very strange you know and what was I've, the word that you used at the time when you you had a really good phrase, and you said, oh, that's, it's understood as a phrase. It's called something about catch-up, that the body can't... There was a well, yeah, I, I think I talked to an osteopath about it once, and I think it was them who said, you kind of get left on the table. So, so for, and I definitely think that happened with my first birth. With my third, it was just so positive all round, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my first, I think my body got left on the table, you know. I, it, I had all this stuff happen to me that I couldn't feel. You know, and I know in that instance, you don't necessarily want to feel, you know, you don't want to feel forceps, of course. But I mean, if you're not connected to the experience in some sense, visually, emotionally, it's not a positive thing. And then all this stuff happens to your body. You do need to catch up with that because it's, you know, it's there's a huge disconnection. I went to a cesarean recently and um, you've just made me realise something i've never been post cesarean for a long 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 normally i'm there a couple two or three hours or something mm. tops really but, but recently anyway and i happened to be there all day and i watched this amazing thing where i think because she was an elective so because it, she had the being left behind possibly mm. there was a great lot of respect in the postnatal room which was great for just leaving her be because that's the other thing is that it could be a bit of a here's your baby and yeah. it didn't feel right you know she was needing to move back into her body but over the period of the day we, we snuggled the baby in close under her arm against her body so not on her tummy actually she almost needed to come back into her body it was nestled to her hip mm. and nested against a pillow so she was looking at the baby mm. and snug both of them and you literally saw this kind of wake up now if you think about it like if that can happen postnatally, what must be happening during cesarean? So just by what I mean by postnatal is in the in the first hours, you could watch her wiring, her mental wiring, trying to connect. That's my baby. That's my baby. That's my baby. That was my baby that was inside me. My baby's not inside me anymore. My baby's there. That's the skin. Mm. You know, so all the things that happen in a natural birth probably quite quickly, but mm. because you've moved through that process um, bio biochemically. Yeah, so cleverly doing this, mm. um, this this separation through your hormones. Mm. Um, so you, they, you come out and then they come back to you in physical, you can hold a newborn after a natural birth. And there is a sense of, of both landing together pretty much at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But this woman had, you can see there's a dis, there's a disconnect because there's a dis, dis there's, there's a gap isn't there yeah, yeah. And so what she did was she just took her time but by six seven hours given the time and low light yeah. and a very soft environment she started whispering to her and like chatting and, and like you can mm. see her, her whole body starting to come into that catch-up mm. and so you can you just it just takes time doesn't it and so that was me just mm. thinking of you when you said about leaving and, and the value of that visualization that you're imagining would have really helped yeah oh yeah because I think you know I think cesareans inductions everything they can all be really positive and I'm not saying that my first one was negative for lots of other reasons do you know what I mean and my cesarean was really positive um Joy. and you can catch yourself up you can but you need to have that awareness to be able to do it you know if you just go into that cold first time I mean luckily I had a kind of no drugs induction didn't I with the balloon and so I, I was very, I got to experience some of my labor, got some physiology going on, got some oxytocin going on. So all of that played a part as well. 
I think if you if you're electing, like you say, you're going from being you to being a mum and not feeling the in between. So brain, body, spiritually, soulfully, there's so much that is like there's a like we say there's a gap, and it's okay that there's a gap, but it's like we need to know there's a gap so we can honor it and catch up with it. Like you say, and she just needed a bit of time to be like wow, I've just been through a really big experience. And again... We refuse to acknowledge as well, going back to getting a bit biological, but hormonally, um, the milk was just not coming. And then, and even I was, when we were doing hands expressing, I was a bit like, you can see if a mother was on her own, it's like, oh, well, that's not happening. It's just no milk, there was no colostrum. But then instead, thanks to the help of a really wonderful breastfeeding counsellor, she just said, no, no, forget that. Forget the end game and what you're trying to do. Just compress, just just massage the breast, just massage mm. them because that's mm. all. They're trying to tell the body mm. that the baby's there. And then actually, instead of doing it in a kind of mechanical way when she was sort of massaging her breast, she actually was chatting to her baby, looking at her baby and sort of looking, oh, look at her. And as she started, of course, to look and observe and feel her baby's presence and compress the breast at the same time, then came the colostrum because it all joined up and then it started to flow and flow and flow. And it was so beautiful to watch that, of course, the hormones, we refuse to accept that we are, you know, a lot of chemistry, you know, so, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it has to, um, like a circuit board, it has a circuit and it's mm-hmm. got a da 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 you know. That happens in vaginal deliveries as well, where you can see a woman arriving in, a, in a, an advancing labour gets to triage and she will, it would be like somebody driving along a road, starting to go up in gear, and then suddenly there's a traffic light, you know, it's like, bomb, you know, the, the engine cuts, you know, it's like, no, not completely, but you can see, we as doulas, we see them lose that focus, lose that rhythm, the whole, what, why? People go, oh, well, they're in, you know, the, you've lost your concentration. No, it's chicken and egg. The hormones have plummeted and now you've lost your focus because the hormones are what are leading you, but the oxytocin is not gonna run freely like it should be on a, you know, it, it's, uh, in fact, I was reading a definition in Michelle O'Donnell's book, I thought it'd be useful for this. Oxytocin secreted by the, it's secreted by the hypothalamus, as we know, and stored in the pituitary gland, right? That's how it, it holds out, that's how it hangs out in our body when we're getting ready. And here's the most important thing. It pulses into the bloodstream in specific circumstances in a discontinuous fashion. Now that was slightly a strange word, discontinuous. Why? Because it's an adaptive hormone. It doesn't, when you put an artificial oxytocin in the woman at, through an IV in, in the form of syntocin and induction, they used to think, I still do, that if you just regularly put it in at intervals, you'll get regular contractions because there's this assumption that oxytocin goes, eh, 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 eh. and we know, don't we, when we listen to the drip going in the woman, you can hear it release at mm. measured intervals in little, bursts contractions mm. get formed bum, 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 bum. what i love about hormones and the, the, the god hormone that is oxytocin that it so matches nature mm. that yes there is overall rhythm and pattern but it's responsive rhythm and pattern it only pulsates in dynamic relationship to the baby to the space to the mother's heart to her own feeling it, it doesn't just go okay we're on our way you know that, that, that robotically you know the human state of consciousness and being and it's so beautifully designed it builds pools eddies builds pools eddies it sort of distills and distills but it goes in little little dips and I literally always think of it it's like it's, it's I, I described it this week actually it reminds me of a very small rivulet like a little brook or, or, or stream mm. um, unlike a river it has to navigate a rock in the way and a pile of sticks and a, and a bank and a tree that's fallen. And it will. Water will always keep flowing, right? Mm-hmm. But it has to navigate, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and eventually it opens out into a bigger river, and it should do. And that is how birth should work. Because we put so many obstacles in the way of women giving birth, she pretty much stays always at the little brook, you know? And, and that's harder. You need to allow that stream to build and build and build to a cumulative climax because the, it's so sweet oxytocin isn't it the way it just try it never it never it, it's such a sweet hormone the way it oh yeah it what it, it, it so wants to keep going 
you know what I mean? And, and it wants to flow like water mm-hmm. and it will find every which way, but it is discontinuous by nature. But I say discontinuous, it, it will pull and then, and then you can see it. When a woman arrives in hospital, you can literally see her building up a head of steam, much like one would in, this, in arousal and sex. It's like that feeling of, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you can see them really getting into the rhythm and then you can see them kind of coming to, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that, that is a shame, mm-hmm. right? Because it's almost like women are giving an obstacle course. The phrase I came up for with the book actually years ago was stress tested. It's like we, it's like we go out of our way to stress test oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Which is so bonkers, given that the, if you were to say to the remit of doctors or maternity care, right, there is stuff. A, huge, a hormone it is the fuel for all labors we need tons of it it needs to be absolutely totally universally accessible and as and when a mother needs it okay let's adapt a maternity care ward around the flow of that hormone and let's see mm. what happens let's just every aspect of this ward every aspect needs to be governed by the um, elixir that is mm. the driving force what how how would birth then look oh amazing but the, I, what you're you're making me think is that obviously we know that one of the huge things in birth is privacy, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, for oxytocin to thrive. So, I mean, that's ironic anyway in a hospital setting. But what you're really making me think is I just want to say that this is how we realise that women do not fail at birth. And I want to say that because so many women come out of a difficult birth and feel that they have failed. They haven't failed. They have been failed. They, they haven't failed, but they've the system and the circumstance and the environment is messing with their oxytocin, you know. And, and it's an, I'm always amazed when women's oxytocin keeps charging ahead, you know, in the face of that. And, you know, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But this is why we talk about as doulas, let's go in, you know, when you're really on your way. Because when it's really on its way, when it's like you say, when it's in that gushing flow state, it won't it won't go away it will just keep going i remember a midwife saying to me once um because it was for various reasons she was challenging the do the role many years ago and she's as i understand it she was questioning it and she said but what you have to be careful of get this what you have to be careful of is your mother feeling um too safe and i said what do you mean she said well when you're at home would she have come into hospital if you weren't there it's a good point it's a good point right if the question is yet if the answer is yes then you have to be aware of that which i understand but her point was ironic because what she meant was if she's so relaxed with you and so safe she may let go (laughs) too much Mm. and and then now what an utter situation that you're almost trying to create an obstacle i mean i get what they mean they mean they want her in because they don't want them to have the accident to have a baby at home but the point is is it's ironic, isn't it? That the way it's perceived is, oh no, no, she, she's got to be conscious and a little bit vigilant and a little bit unsafe because we don't want her getting too flowy. Mm, yeah. I mean, and I was like, I remember being dumb. So I was a very new dude at the time. I was like, oh, you mean you? And she means when you come to hospital, then you can relax. Mm. Well, yeah. You said privacy, and I want to look in more into that word because it's what happens if we talk about privacy but what's happening in privacy privacy is simply the circumstances that allow full bodily autonomy mm-hmm. in a way that we don't really have unless we're a child really like that to- basically awarenessness mm-hmm. self-consciousness in the extreme the primal safety i might a thing i keep using in my yoga class at the moment when people talk about oh you need to feel safe in birth i i feel it's a bit like the safety being put to bed by um, a parent you know when you're drifting off to sleep age four and you know and somebody's read you a story or you're and you are heavy with sleep a child that's heavy with sleep mm-hmm. like you know you stroke their hair behind their ear or sure we can all dig around m- most people can sort of vaguely remember I mean not you know sad not everybody has those experiences but you know most people that that feeling of being very very safe as a child um, where the parents have got it you know you know you haven't got to do anything it's that level isn't it that a mother has to be in that sort of primal level mm-hmm. of her, that, and that's what I people go oh yeah privacy privacy but why do we need the privacy actually again not everybody but most people when in charge and full charge of their body 
without anyone doing anything to them or any sense of expectation or any sense of what's next will come into the power of their own physical self in such a full and complete way because mm. that's how perfect nature is they feel suddenly this great oh I'm safe because I'm inside me mm. feeling everything that I'm feeling we feel, people don't know that they don't know what that feels like mm. I think it's worth mentioning but I really there won't be another chance to say it so I'm going to add it in because I've always wanted to make an apology to the nation where I used to be a journalist in the 90s for those glossy mags and it was when women really first started having their orgasms broken down by the media um, into this, hey, 10 ways you can do this. I don't know, just horrible dissection of sex, right? Yeah, I used to read them. (laughs) Well, I was the bloody journalist who did it. God knows why, because I didn't have the most successful sex life. But anyway, hilariously, I would write for Cosmo and company and all these. and, And I look back and I actually feel ashamed because what we did was we called it freedom and we called it sexual revolution. But what were we doing? We're putting a spotlight on women in, the sexual, in, in their sexual relationships that it was dressed up as, hey, be empowered, have an orgasm, woo, woo, woo. Actually, oxytocin would have plummeted around the nation and has done ever since. Because the moment you become performative or a sense of doing or reaching for it, we all know in birth, oxytocin plummets. There is no way you're going to have an easy labor if you haven't got disinhibition right and of course the same applies sexual experience so I just can't believe what we opened and unleashed in the 90s started in the late 80s in the 90s and god knows what it's like now but noughties this sense of oh yeah if I look this way or if I act that way if I perform that act or if that if my partner does this to me I will get this or you know reaction well I'm sorry but it's such a sad loss of, of, of understanding that it's only through the loss of the mind, the critical mind, that you're going to reach that peak anyway. So it was such a joke that we were releasing women from the, you know, in the 1920s, a woman in a wincyet nightdress in a dark bedroom had far greater orgasms than women in the noughties. It's like adding to the watching of the self again. Like we watch how we talk to people we watch how we please people we watch and now we're watching ourselves in sex we're watching ourselves in birth mm. you know give us a break and, and all of that is coming down to a sort of performance-based evaluative um evaluation you know so and once you do that evaluation of how am i doing am i feeling what i should be feeling you already have lost the thing that, that was the access to the bigger feeling you know so and that's to bring us back to privacy is that one route back to it is privacy because because you in birth and sex and you know I can even remember in breastfeeding actually how I often say don't forget those first feeds you might just need to be alone not because one feels awkward about breasts I don't mean Mm self-consciousness of one's body nothing to do with that Mm -hmm. just because there's this first relationship of the mouth attaching to a breast Mm -hmm. is a very you're instantly going to be judging yourself oh can I not manage has the baby not gone on? Mm. Well, that also is oxytocin. Breastfeed, the, you know, the, the letdown and lactation is governed by oxytocin. I, nobody really talked about privacy being needed in those first couple of days to concentrate mm. and get used to that feeling of the dynamic relationship of that baby feeding from you. I mean, what a bizarre idea. A human being is drawing nutrition from your body. How bizarre, how amazing. And that would have made total sense you know, decades ago. But now... To the average working woman to suddenly realize that their body is a food supply yeah that needs some adjusting too doesn't it and if everybody's like if there's a sense of being i don't mean watched but kind of like um there is that oh can i breastfeed you know is yeah. this going to work again performative that's yeah. going to influence oxytocin and then that influences letdown and then milk supply so mm. there's so many aspects where we're not in our whole feeling self mm. um oh my god Jenna, we could just talk and talk. I know. This is such a big subject, isn't it? And I love all the kind of pathways we've taken with it. Um, but I think I think we're trying to say, aren't we, like, allow yourself to feel it all. Like, don't do yourself a disservice. Don't shortchange yourself by not, <laughs> not experiencing it. Because no matter how scary, it's like a good... Like, if you do feel scared, it's a, it's a good scary. It's a excited scary it's a life-changing scary it's 
and you want you know if you have the opportunity you want to feel all of that you want to go through all those processes and I think we are very good at quit we're having some new feeling let's let's you know fix it or disallow it or something but I think with birth and pregnancy and motherhood just let it all hang out (laughs) give it space just give it space to and one other trick given that we it's an an unraveling of our minds it's hard but um one little trick sorry that's my cat is is um is be kind of meet the feeling that's just in front of your nose like I think Mm -hmm. don't look ahead and wonder Mm -hmm. you can easily do that I think a lot of people because you just can focus on a breath and then the breath leads you to the feeling just that feeling just that one feeling that feeling that's right in front of you there 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 right there in that moment and mind will naturally allow you to do that I think we do have the capacity quite quickly actually to Mm. reset back to the now Mm. if you just instruct yourself just this one just this one just do this feeling Mm. and then the body has its own beautiful accumulation of it will take you to that the next Mm. the next the next and you'll just get on the current of it you know and we haven't even addressed all the stuff of what it actually feels like in those last stages because we've talked about the early stages and you know wow about those last bigger feelings about um when the baby's really starting to advance through and down they are huge we haven't talked about the hugeness busting brimful i mean i remember laughing crazed to cackle I think you know like of astoundedness because I I had never felt anything so big or great mm. or deep or wide or mind-blowing I, mm-hmm. I, I I could not believe what was being asked of me so that sounds a bit scary doesn't it but it is true it was the biggest mm. thing I'd ever experienced but equally I would never have swapped it for the world you know so it was like and what's happening, you know, your hips are spreading and there's that feeling of something passing through your hips. It's the endorphins that come with that, that massive mystical, you can feel dense with it. You feel dense with this life force, don't you? But I think in those moments, if you feel those big, that bigness with trust and understanding of what it is, then it feels, like you say, it feels big in a good way because I think we're so used to any feelings in the body, especially in terms of pain and things like that. Well, obviously, they're always illness, negative illness. You know, it's like we can't help but think like that. And I think that's why birth is such a rewiring. It's the only time you go to hospital for a positive experience, you know. It's the only time you feel pain in a positive way. It's a complete... You do have to rewire your brain in that sense. Um, and I think allowing yourself to feel that bigness but just taking out the fear the minute you take out the fear of that bigness like you say you felt the bigness but you also felt the greatness and you get both you know when there's no fear um, if nobody's drawing you drawing you into any disturbance and the, the yeah quietness and every mm. the whole world around you including partners needs to kind of completely drop away and then you can feel it in its wholeness and and I don't think one has to decide not to be frightened I think it will just naturally feels like an intact perfect completed feeling it just feels right mm-hmm. but where it can feel completely not right is if you are disturbed or disrupted you know bright lights and an epidural type thing it can mm-hmm. be very subtle things it can be somebody whispering mm-hmm. um it can be um a sense of feeling observed I mean quite literally it can be more disturbed by a midwife whispering to a doula in the corner of a quiet sitting room that can be more disturbing than a bustly antenatal ward that you're where you where you're pushing and no one's taking a blind bit of notice of you do you know what I mean so it's so it's not I mean I prefer it if the mother was in a quiet sequestered darkened space mm-hmm. where she was utterly utterly mm-hmm. preciously private mm-hmm. but but Equally, I think we get we can get it wrong. We can still feel observed, even in the most set up of fairy lit, perfect home birth. If you're watching yourself, you're watching yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then those big, big feelings can feel definitely, you know, a bit too much, but they don't feel too much when you expand with it, uninterruptedly expand and fly with it, you know. And that, that's coming from me, who's a total control freak. You know, I mean, I, I'm not somebody who naturally transcends at all, but I don't have to be some 
person who's really free or meditative or able to access mm-hmm. certain sides. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's literally any any woman on this planet can do that and feel that if she's given what she needs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I just think with the bigness, I've just got to say this, it's about, you were saying, you know, it won't be too much. And I think, yeah, but also if it is too much, what's wrong with it being too much? <laughs> you know, like we're, we're so, we're so kind of into making ourselves as comfortable as possible as quickly as possible like we're so let's fix this I don't feel comfortable in this moment let's fix it I'm cold let's put a sweater on whatever whatever you know and I think I think that in terms of my kids actually I'm like so what if they're a bit cold or a bit hot here and there oh my god if we make everyone so comfortable all the time no one can handle discomfort ever and it's like in birth we're suddenly really uncomfortable okay you're uncomfortable it's okay, you know, like it's okay to be uncomfortable. You don't, you can just be uncomfortable for a while. So true, so true. Because I mean, I, yeah, yeah, gosh, I'm noticing that a little bit actually. I wonder if even the newer generations are less and less. I mean, we were bad enough growing up when I was, you know, when we were already comfortable with central heating and, mm. um, mm. you know, generation of my mum and my grandmother, you know, you just wake up in a freezing house and you didn't have your tea that my, my grandmother would have been hungry things like that you know and don't mean we want to go back to that but it's interesting yeah that's so true because now I notice people really complain about you know any single thing like that discomfort that's a soreness in their body or something yeah you notice it in pregnancy but there are some parts for example with achiness in the pelvis and stuff but that's just part of pregnancy which you sort of expect but mm-hmm. I do notice people are a bit more like alarmed by it now and I think as well, when you become a mum, you're uncomfortable quite a lot, <laughs> just generally in life, in feelings. And I think it helps you be a bit more adaptable and flexible to understand that it's okay to feel not just right all the time. You know, it's a, that's that can be just right. Yeah, exactly that. That you can be a bit off, and that's okay too. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I feel like with so many aspects to it. I know. We, we, we could talk for hours. It was lovely. To we can always circle back to it another time. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>